0: Good morning, Twitter. I'm Isaac Fitzgerald. He is Saeed Jones. It is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and you are watching am to dm Absolutely. Well, later this morning, uh, I'm going to be talking with Van Newkirk from The Atlantic Magazine
1: about the whitewashing of MLK's assassination and legacy. We're going there. Mm -hmm. Looking
0: forward to it. But first... But first, let's talk Fire Festival documentaries. (laughs) Kumail Nanjiani tweeted... It's so stressful to decide which fire doc to watch. I won't watch more than one. 30 minutes later, I could watch infinite fire docs until the day I die. <laughs> it
1: me. Uh, Jasmine made this point. These fire docs just keep reminding me how segregated the internet is. I never heard of the festival until it all went wrong. I don't follow Billa Hadid or Kendall Jenner on Instagram. I have no clue what that part of the internet is even like.
0: Sam. Yeah, listen, there was a lot going on. There was a lot to parse. I'm so glad there were two. I would watch a lot more. I'm with Kumail on that one. Let me, here's three, just off the top of my head. Got some pitches? Here are three fire docs that I would like to see produced. Okay? Number one, the workers in the Bahamas. And not just the workers, the citizens. How that affected their economy. How that affected all the workers that didn't get paid. Mm -hmm. There was so much more to that story Mm -hmm. that clearly, you know, the Netflix one got into pretty Mm -hmm. decently. The Hulu one kind of brushed Mm -hmm. aside it interrupted their own national holiday they had the regatta the regatta i want to see that story told from that point of view number two okay all the white dudes in it that talked to both documentaries i thought that was really interesting like calvin Uh, yeah and i just wanted to know more history about each of the people we heard from how did they get to that point in their life then there's one guy all right, he so clearly has it out for Billy McFarlane. Not saying he's wrong. <laughs> I think in one documentary he's called The Financier, in the other one right. it maybe said like venture capital. Mm-hmm. They never really explain why he went to such lengths right. to call him out on all his shit. I'm glad he did, yeah. but I just wanna know if he ever a like little, little bumped him wrong at a party or like something like that. <laughs> Third one I wanna watch and that'll be the end of the Isaac pitches for more documentaries. Man, the poop situation. You want a whole documentary I want a whole... They both mentioned it and then just, again, breeze right past it. I want to know what was with the waterworks. How was the <laughs> island affected? How many toilets did they have on hand? I just want to know more of the poop story. <laughs> I don't want to watch a whole documentary about poop. Um, <laughs> Sorry, that's I was fired up. I came ready... I watched them both yesterday. I really think they paired together nicely. Yeah, they do. They do complement one. Another. You do kind of need both
1: of them uh, to even begin to get us into the full picture. I mean, one, yeah, I totally agree, I would love to see a documentary. And it's alluded to that there's obviously a long history of Americans uh, using the Bahamas and using the people, using hello colonialism to like scam local people there, and I was really, uh, really I wanted more of that. Mm-hmm. And, and I felt like race actually is alighted in, in in both documentaries. It's not really given a lot of space to analyze how that played into this. Like we're going to go there and create our fantasy island as if there isn't already a history and a culture. And you know, Marion Rolls, the the local business owner, just totally mm-hmm. devastated by all that, just left you know holding uh, all the the uh, results of it. it. Just as, really we're,
0: as we're talking though another thing I would watch another documentary just about Ja Rule but also just, No I want nothing else from Ja Rule. <laughs> You're done I with, want nothing because else there from Because there is with. also that aspect to it yeah. too right sure. the, there's the way race played a part of it and also how gender played a part of it yeah. and as we were talking kind of before the show started chaotic workplaces often lead to really chaotic situations yeah. and I feel like there are some other stories to come out of that commercial that they made totally. as well. Just, and not just him I mean everybody else I wouldn't be surprised you know like just sexual harassment and behavior, we
1: see these patterns, and, and just jaw Rule yelling at Chanel and Mon get in the fucking water. I was like, that's the tip of the iceberg.
0: But right, we're gonna now. take it to the timeline. We want you to be a part of this conversation, too. We got a Who lot of Who won say. the firefight? Ooh. Netflix? Or Hulu. Let us know which one you preferred using the hashtag #AM2DM. Again, I would argue they both complemented each other very well. That's true. That's true. Well, a lot of people, have, as mentioned,
1: have, have asked about Marian Roll, uh, the business owner there in the Bahamas, and if it's possible to support her, it is. GoFundMe tweeted this: "This is the verified GoFundMe to support Marian Roll, the Bahamanian restaurant owner who lost over $100,000 in the Firefest documentary featured on Netflix." And I checked it last. Last night, I think it's already surpassed its goal, which is great. Shouldn't have been necessary in the first place, but if you want to support, you can.
0: There it is. Another story everyone was reacting to this weekend. Jessica Valenti tweeted, I'm willing to bet that 50 years from now, a defining image of this political era will be that smug white magazine disrespecting a native elder and veteran. It just captures so much. Yeah.
1: I And I, I tweeted about this, but like Jessica, I was taken how with, if we just want to talk about race and racism um, as cultural threads in the last three years, mm-hmm. a lot has happened. I'm surprised that even in the midst of all of that chaos, that image, that video, that boy staring on that Native American elder in the face as he's doing a prayer, uh, it got to me. It stayed with me all day long. And I, I think in part it's because it felt like Watching, And the only way I can describe it is like watching uh, history unfold in, in real time, which is to say, you know, if you think back the first time you like, were in elementary school and you were going through the history textbook, and you can pick an image, but an image from history, like a black and white photo that you went, whoa, that happened? Seeing that in real time on the timeline, that's mm-hmm. what it felt like. Mm-hmm. And, and then now, of course, it's very complicated. The student is, you know, um, pushing back on what's to happen. There's a lot of back and forth. He's put out a statement, but I want to make space to focus on why, particularly over Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, hello, Mm -hmm. as you mentioned this earlier this morning, Mm -hmm. it resonated so much. These things feel connected.
0: Yeah, to see it reflected time is a flat circle. Mm. There is a lot going on here. Writer George M. Johnson joins us now to help us unpack it. George, good morning. Good morning. So I wanted to start here with you. Were you surprised by the intense response the video received?
2: No. um, I mean, at this point, what we're watching watching is, like, this trickle-down effect of, like, what's happening at a macro level with um, adults and, you know, racism um, just in the country kind of being so overt now. Um, It's not shocking that it's starting to trickle down into, you know, the uh, teenagers who are practicing Um, probably what they're seeing at home within their parents or what they're seeing in the country. Uh, I just think that I guess people maybe were shocked because of uh, how the imagery was juxtaposed where, you know, you have this MAGA team like face to face with an indigenous person um, who's out there for their day. And so it just didn't make any sense. And then like, you know, they're like being rude, they're being loud, they're being boisterous and he just wouldn't move out of the, the way. And so, Um, Just something we've seen year after year and for decades uh, in other type of imagery uh, in this country.
1: Right. Um, And and, and I I want to get back to your allusion to, you know, images we might have seen for the 50s and 60s, but something you said just resonated with me. I wonder if part of it is when we see young people enacting, you know, hateful, racist, troubling behavior, it challenges the fact that we like to think, I think a lot of people like to think that racism is something that's just
2: going to die out with old people. Is that part of it? Yeah. And you know, it's like uh part of like what I was saying yesterday, it's like, um, these kids, their grandparents were the people who were in the other photos and their great grandparents were the people who were, you know, surrounding us when lynchings happened. So we can't just keep writing it off as, Oh, teens will be teens. And Oh, you know, they're young. So they don't get it. No, they fully get it because to be racist is is a choice. And so it's like, no, they fully understand what they're doing when they're coming out there and when they're making these statements, um, and these racist, uh, charged uh, statements towards uh, indigenous people, towards black people, towards anyone. And you know, again, if you're gonna wear something that says make America great again, then at what time period are you talking? Because for us, it has never been great. So in order to make something great again, you'd have to go back to a time period where um, marginalized people had less rights.
0: Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about those parallels. And we actually have some images here that we're going to bring up for viewers to watch while you talk about this. But those photos from the 50s and 60s, should we be surprised that we're seeing similar things now in 2019?
2: Should we be surprised? I guess no. Um, I guess it's just unfortunate. Um, You know, you especially like it's MLK weekend. So like this is a weekend where everybody's talking about like equality, equity, progress, change. And so to still see these same type of images, um, I think of like Ruby Bridges, uh, you know, walking to school and being yelled at by white adults. And um, some of the more graphic images that we've seen over time, you know, dogs um, and fire hoses uh, against black people who were peacefully protesting. Uh, It's, it's unfortunate, Uh, but I think it's something that we need to see uh, because it needs to shine light into um, these areas and these situations where a lot of times this stuff either doesn't get captured or it gets written off as uh, boys will be boys. So it's even funny, like right with the whole Gillette commercial just recently coming out and then you see something like this and then you see people jump automatically to, oh, boys will be boys. And it's like, well, no, because these boys that are being boys become our senators and become our governors and become our prosecutors and unfortunately become presidents of the United States. So we need to not only see it, but be able to address it now. Yeah. And and to that
1: point, I wanted to focus on the tactical use of, you know, childishness and boyishness, because on one hand, you know, it's just like, oh, they're children, leave them alone. On the other hand, not only has the student put out a statement, but that does not read like a (laughs) statement from a teenager. It's a very polished professional statement. So what did you make of that from him?
2: And again, right, it's like because now we're talking about like classism, and we're talking about a whole a a whole other bunch of things that he's being afforded that we know that black and brown children are never afforded. Right. Like you have a whole PR firm and I believe he has an attorney already. And it's like, how did you go from from there to here? The school still hasn't said anything. Um, But again, it's like uh, we often see white children and white adults get aged down and we see what happens with black children; they get aged up. You know, Mike Brown was called an adult, throughout several publications, Tamir Rice, uh, I believe the police officer said that he thought he was an adult or saw an adult. Tamir Rice was 12 years old. Um, again, a luxury that's never afforded to other marginalized uh, groups. When you're talking about children and when you're talking about teenagers, uh, that seems to always be afforded to white kids, uh, who also have the privilege to then, when they make a mistake, and i would not even call it a mistake when they make a decision to do something like this, uh, be able to then go and hire a PR firm and an attorney and release a full statement. I mean, like, I don't think I've ever I I can't recall just like a teenager releasing like a full statement like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's more to the story. We're going to keep an
0: eye on it. But, George, my man, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about it. Thank you guys for having me this morning.
1: That was such an eloquent choice of words, when he makes a decision, not a mistake, a decision. Mm-hmm. Well, Twitter again, there is a lot to say about this, so we're taking this to the timeline. Two, what stood out most to you from the conversation generated by the video of the magazine and the Native American elder? Of course, let us know using the hashtag AMTDM. we dm We already got some responses from you. Softy38, you said, I recognized the look on that kid's face. That look is eternal, mm. it will never go away.
0: It is eternal. All right, well, listen, if you watched the show on Friday, you know we focused on a bombshell BuzzFeed News report that said President Trump directed his attorney, Michael Cohen, to lie to Congress about the Moscow Tower project. And if you watched the timeline Friday night, you know that a spokesperson for the special counsel is disputing BuzzFeed News' report. Here's what Mueller's
1: spokesperson said. BuzzFeed's description of specific statements to the special counsel's office and characterization of documents and testimony obtained by this office regarding
0: Michael Cohen's congressional testimony are not accurate. And BuzzFeed News editor and chief Ben Smith responded on Friday evening with this statement. We stand by our reporting and the sources who informed it, and we urge the special counsel to make clear what he's disputing. And yesterday, Ben Smith and investigative reporter
1: Anthony Cormier went on reliable sources with Brian Stelter. Let's take a look.
2: This
0: is going to be borne out, Brian. This story is accurate. What if if the sources are just wrong? They're not. Not intentionally, not not trying to hurt you, but just, what if they're wrong? They're,
2: They're not, they're not, I'm confident. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's not, this is obviously the highest stakes and there's no source exactly like Robert Mueller. There aren't other government officials who, when they say, this is wrong and we're not exactly going to say how and why, that would produce the sort of reaction that you're bringing here and that right. we're seeing. I mean, right. it's an unusual situation. It's a very weird a very, situation. very, very high stakes version of a situation that we're all familiar with, where you publish mm-hmm. a story, a source says this is wrong, you say how is it wrong, they won't tell you, and all you can do is continue to report, to nail
0: down the details. Now we asked Ben Smith to be on the show this morning and he stated that his statement and what he said yesterday on Reliable Sources was all he had to say on the subject matter. Anthony and Jason are of course reporting this story out and chasing down what will be the next step in this story. Yeah. I think speaking for myself,
1: you know, we talked to Ben yesterday on the phone. We did. Um, because we really did, of course, we want him on the show as much as possible, particularly with these high-stakes stories. What I will say is that uh, this story is not the first uh, investigative report from Jason Leopold and Anthony Cormier on Cohen, on Trump, and on that damn hotel in Moscow. Um, They've been reporting on this for over a year, and as they have said, and as y'all all all know, the New York Times knows, the Washington Post knows, and Mueller knows, all of those other reports have been confirmed. Mm -hmm. Um, So I understand this is high stakes, and I'm not an investigative reporter, and I'm certainly not named Robert Mueller, um, but I am going to trust the pattern Mm -hmm. um, and continue to have faith in my coworkers. And I I hope it does bear out, you know, and I hope they continue to report, because I want to know more
0: about what happened. And I'll speak for myself, because I can only speak myself that's all i can do uh i'm actually very happy to see that anthony and jason and ben are sticking <laughs> to their guns on this one and i am looking forward to see what's next yeah do i wish
1: that this is not all unfolded on a friday night of course <laughs> fucked up my weekend but that's where we are <laughs> yeah for now all right we're going to continue to update you on developments as they happen Here thanks
0: Speaking of which, here's one already. Rudy Giuliani appeared on two Sunday morning shows and said that the president might have discussed Cohen's testimony before he lied to Congress. Giuliani out here just handed things on a platter. As our own Emma
1: Loop pointed out, Giuliani also confirmed on Sunday that discussions about Trump Tower Moscow went on months longer than has been previously acknowledged up until Trump was elected in November 2016.
0: So there is all that, as Saeed already said, and obviously as you already know, we are gonna be keeping an eye on this story. I think there's gonna be a lot going on.
1: Yeah, shockingly, there are not like 10 lawyers watching us right now. Well, anyway, <laughs> this morning is just getting started. Uh, Isaac is gonna sit down with Wonder Woman director, Patty Jenkins, so, so excited. I'm so excited, I'm so I saw her walk into the green room and I got all excited, okay. And I'm gonna be talking with Van Newkirk about Martin Luther King Jr.'s legacy, but up next it's time for Fire Tweets. <laughs> I okay. some fire because it's fucking cold in New York. Sorry. It is, dog. No, that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> I was like dead silent before we went live, and then all of a sudden, I'm you, like, swinging. You had thoughts, but you like, had feelings.
0: It was like negative 11 degrees when I woke up this morning. I don't know what you guys are talking about. I'm wearing my t shirt, you know? I'm, I'm keeping it real chill. Shit. This is only because right. they told me to take my jacket off. All it's right. red. It, it is very, very chilly. You ready to get in these fire tweets? Yes. Let's do it. <laughs> Tiffany, you tweeted. Trust no bitch who does cardio without headphones. They are definitely plotting revenge on someone. That's just factual. You know, if you see somebody at the gym, no headphones on, and they're just that's some Terminator shit right there. So that bad. is some. Mm, they are. Uh, mm, they are, They have one person in mind, and they are just. Mm. If you aren't listening to music, you're mad when you're yeah. working out. Oh the yeah. The only
1: thing that would be scary if someone was like doing like the boxing and they were like
0: crying. Oh, absolutely. Playing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it's I, just I, the pain I, is making me stronger.
1: I do want to point out that um, this person's name is John because I don't want John coming for us later. But shout out to your username Tiffany Trump Tron- Vivo. Okay. Because now I have an image of Tiffany Trump. Tron-
0: okay. Doing just cardio. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right, this is next tweet. I this is how I
0: exercise, apparently. This is this is what run. This is not how I run. I swear. You can tell it's been a while since
1: we've been to the gym. Okay, <laughs> Our next tweet <laughs> comes from Liz. <laughs> Liz tweeted: College still making us do the whole "What is your name, major, and a fun fact about you." Like, can we just start? This class costs six hundred dollars. Time
0: is money. Uh-huh. And the books cost $6,000. That's right. <laughs> I don't have time. Oh, let's go around. That. Just because the teacher didn't work on a curriculum for the first day, let's yeah. all say something about ourselves. Screw that.
1: Yeah. that's it, It's, I mean, real. Nothing but facts there from Liz. I agree. Shout out to you. Also, is your username Coochie Kisser? Okay. So okay, You're, you're really no, into just, the username. Just, Here we go.
0: <laughs> bougie tweeted. There we go. Bougie tweeted. I'm into men, women. Researching the menu ahead of time so I know exactly what to order. Wow, That is what I am into as well. Do you do Absolutely. that all the time? Yeah, man. Really? You gotta know what's gonna be good. What are they known for? <laughs> How long has it been on the menu? When's the last time the menu changed? Was the original chef that opened the restaurant still the person <laughs> making the dishes? These are wow. the things we need to know. That's true.
1: I don't look it up.
0: You don't, I don't you look do, it you,
1: up. You, I'm you, like, because it'll give you something to talk about.
0: You'll just jump. You just jump. Well,
1: you know, it's like it's taking like,
0: risks. <laughs> A risky man. That's what I say about Saeed Jones. A risky man. Are you ready for tweeting the topic. Are I, I'm you, going, yeah, yeah, yeah we we'll got right, you. Stay here. All right, let's do it.
1: Ready? Ow! <laughs> it comes from Sasparilla. That's a beautiful, wholesome username. Uh, today, I was walking down an icy snowdrift when this guy holds his hand out to me, so I shake his hand. But he does not shake back. You guys, he was trying to help me, so I wouldn't fall down, and I responded by shaking his hand <laughs> like I was the president of the snowdrift.
0: I just like this. I'm, 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 I'm here. Here, let me hang like, you. here. Oh, thank oh, you. oh! Welcome to the
1: snow. Welcome to the snowdrift. Can, can I actually it's share insane. a random oh, story? Th- that actually this morning, because thinking of the weather and it being cold. This morning, listen, I'm walking out of my apartment. It's I'm usually walking down the hallway at like six twenty in the morning. Mm-hmm. It's usually just me. I'm not in ready to communicate with people mode and one of my neighbors who's a rather nice but eccentric man came out mm-hmm. at the same time mm-hmm. and stopped and not you know and I'm explaining like a hey hey or whatever and he was like hey good morning <laughs> and put would out you, his hand and I was like I grabbed it so I was like I literally did <laughs>
0: <laughs> like you wanted him to kiss me I was just like <laughs> What is happening? What?
1: (laughs) I was so thrown off. I literally didn't even have that. I was like, How did he? I was like, Good to see. it.
0: I feel like that means your day was blessed. I like that guy a lot. I bet you he's a magic man. He's a nice guy. I think it's blessed. Listen, coming up, I my day is blessed because I'm sitting down with Patty Jenkins, the director of the Wonder Woman franchise. But up next, we're going live from the district. You got your moves today. Welcome back. We're going live from the district with BuzzFeed News D.C. Bureau Chief Kate Nocera. Good morning, Kate.
3: Good morning. How are you guys?
1: We are doing all right. Um, Well, let's get into it. It is, of course, day 31 of the shutdown, and uh, we just wanted to start here. Has there been any progress on reopening the government? Nope. Nope.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Real. There has not been. That said, Mitch McConnell's got something up his sleeves today, right?
3: Sure. Um, so over the weekend, Donald Trump made uh, an offer. Uh, he said that he was going to reopen the government in exchange. He, he wanted the, the $5 billion for his wall in exchange for a three-year extension of DACA protections, um, as well as protections for um, TPS. And McConnell says hey, that sounds like a reasonable thing. We will bring it up in the Senate on Tuesday. Now, recall that Mitch McConnell said that he would not bring anything to the floor unless Trump and Democrats agreed to it. Democrats do not agree to this deal.
1: Okay. So, I mean, Kate, here's the thing. Um, I've tried, uh, as this has been going on, to make a point of learning more and more about how the shutdown's impacting federal government workers. Because Yes. Yeah really heartbreaking. Uh, with that in mind, I want to ask you, as someone who has been covering DC politics for a long time, like you are not new to this game, um, what has it felt like watching this protracted shutdown unfold?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's been, it, it's it's really hard. Uh, the, there are people who have to show up for work every day and not get paid, which is demoralizing on its own. Uh, the TSA is stressed. I mean, I think this is stressing kind of every agency in some way and even though it's a partial government shutdown it's not the whole it's not the whole government some parts of the government are functioning um, and those folks are getting paid the stress is really outsized um, and the longer it goes on the worse it's going to get
0: the longer it goes on, the worse it's going to get. Now, I know Pelosi has put some bills out in the past. And I this is where my head goes. With Mitch McConnell doing what he's going to do today, are we just watching each side kind of pass or put forward new bills that the other side's just not going to agree to? And is there any chance that there's going to be something that brings them together?
3: Yeah, I don't know what the thing that brings them together is, Isaac. You know what I mean? Like, there has to be something. This can't go on forever. But what will be that thing that brings them together? What will be the breaking point? Pelosi is going to continue to bring up clean bills to the floor. Um, They're going to pass the House. They'll send them to the Senate. And it's up to McConnell whether to vote on them or not. He says he's not going to do that because the president uh, won't sign those bills. So he's doing his own thing. So, yeah, everyone is in their separate camps right now doing what they think is best for the country. I don't know. Uh, Obviously, or, you know, their base, what they feel is right by their parties. And then um, I don't know what the thing is that will bring us together. It's going to take, I think, a number of Republican senators uh, saying this is enough and getting enough will in the Senate to pass uh, the clean bills. um, Because I don't see how House Democrats would agree to, you know, take up a spending bill that funds a wall. At this point, they've said, you know, no more money mm-hmm. going going to that.
1: Right. And as we mentioned, we're at 31 days. Um, what's the significance of the re- uh, shutdown persisting through this Friday? Is that a new pay cycle?
3: Yeah, it'll be the second pay cycle that government workers will get $0 in their paychecks. So um, just imagine that. I mean, imagine like living your life and going to work and then not getting paid um, and having to stress about wh- how you're going to pay your rent, your mortgage, your phone bill, get you food. You know, uh, it was kind of crazy. I saw last week uh, Jose Andres opened um, it, a little fo- a food stand for federal workers to, to hand out free meals and, and the line just stretched for blocks. I mean, this is sort of where we're at right now.
0: To hand out free meals yeah, to federal
3: yeah. I, I, workers. I saw
0: a clip over the
1: weekend of a woman yeah. who works as a security guard at the Smithsonian, and she was in tears. She was trying to appeal to uh, McConnell, and she's on the Second Chance program, uh, which mm-hmm. means that if she misses her rent payment, you're evicted. Like, you don't, they don't, <laughs> and it was, you know, and she was just in tears, and you just, the stories just go
0: on and on, man. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Kate, for joining us this morning. I always appreciate your perspective.
3: Thanks, guys.
0: Be really, warm. I will try. I really appreciate a reporter who can just say nope. Yep. No nope. truth. Yep, All that's right. it.
1: Well, here's a tweet from Good Morning America. Kamala Harris announces this morning on GMA that she will be officially running for president in 2020. She says, "I'm very excited about it." Well, joining us now to talk about Kamala Harris's 2020 run is BuzzFeed News reporter Molly Hensley
0: Clancy. Good morning, Molly. Morning, guys. Thank you so much for coming on, Molly. I know you've been covering this for quite some time. So, with Senator Harris's hat now in the ring, what should we expect from her campaign? What do you expect it to look like?
4: Well, they they gave us some clues today. You know, she announced on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, uh, her first major trip is going to be to South Carolina, which is an early primary state that has a lot of black voters. So, I think one thing we know is that she's going to focus heavily on black voters. Her campaign logo that she released evokes um, Shirley Chisholm, who was the first black woman to run for office for a major party or for a president for a major party. So that's going to be a big thing um, that, that we can watch for.
1: Right. Absolutely. Another factor and I've been waiting for this day because I'm interested to see how Kamala Harris deals with it as a candidate um, is the criticism she has for her past as a prosecutor, being tough on crime and people on the left saying that she's not liberal enough. How do you anticipate that figuring into the primaries?
4: Yeah, I think it's going to be fascinating. One thing is that her campaign slogan is Kamala Harris for the people. Um, Which is like a nod to her past as a prosecutor, you know That's what you say when you get up in front of court you say Kamala Harris for the people So it doesn't look like they're going to be leaning away from it Um, And she's talked about sort of she's playing up her past as a uh, she calls herself a progressive prosecutor so she says, you know, she was really pushing for reforms and um, You know fighting for things like to against big banks But yeah, a lot of critics say, you know Actually when she was in charge of these law enforcement agencies, they think she didn't do enough to fight police brutality, um, to fight sort of corruption in her agency. So I think it's going to be really interesting. It's certainly something we're going to be talking about for a long time. Okay. And now Molly, like I mentioned, you have been following Kamala Harris around
0: a bit. What has it been like uh, watching her go through this process and gear up for this morning's announcement?
4: Yeah, I, I think, you know, a lot of people would say that she's Probably basically been running for president since she got to the Senate or at least seriously considering it So, you know, we've been kind of watching her figure out what her message is Craft her Senate votes to kind of stand out from Democrats She was one of the only Democrats I think one of three to vote against an immigration proposal last year because it funded Trump's wall even though it had protections for uh, Dreamers in it. So that was a big thing that she did to distinguish herself and yeah, I was in Iowa with her before the midterms and I think She still has a lot of work to do on um, name recognition. A lot of people just don't know who she is. But the people who do know who she is, they've seen her on MSNBC. They've seen her grilling Trump administration officials in Senate Judiciary hearings. And they really like her a lot. I heard a lot of sort of comparisons to Obama, a lot of people that were really just uh, sort of smitten with her in Iowa. So it's going to be really interesting.
1: Yeah, and just looking at some of the tweets here, Kirsten, but says, my timeline uh, is covered in Kamala slander. Uh, Someone else tweeted, a black cop, that's referring to her record as a prosecutor, that works to disenfranchise black people and sex workers is still a cop that works to disenfranchise black people and sex workers. So looks like Kamala Harris has her work cut out for her. Thanks. For she definitely
4: that. does. Uh, but I think it's important to remember, you know, Twitter isn't necessarily real life. And so it's going to be really interesting to see what people in Iowa think about a cop. Uh, I think the campaign may be betting, you know, that they're a little bit more positive.
1: It's yeah, so got to appeal to the Midwest now. All right. Yeah. Well, Molly, we are so glad you've been covering her and we'll be able to keep talking to you as this develops. Have a great morning. Yep. 2020, man. <laughs> it's, it's going. Just. It's happening. Oh man, man. How do you? How do you feel now that we're like in 2020?
0: To be honest, listen, man. I, I'm not gonna fight it. You know me. Yeah. I'm just gonna roll with it. Okay. I'm just. This is the life we live. <laughs> yeah. We started this show. Slow and steady. Slow slow and steady. <laughs> yeah. That's that's us.
1: That's Saeed and Isaac. Slow and steady. All right. Up next, Isaac and... <laughs> just not even reading the prompt. Here. Up next, I'm going to speak with Van Newkirk about the history of whitewashing MLK's legacy. Stay tuned. I just turned to you and you were just like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Raw Story tweeted this. On the eve of Martin Luther King Jr. Day, Mike Pence says Trump is like Martin Luther King Jr. for, quote, inspiring us uh, with a border wall. Do you feel inspired yet? Well, writer at The Atlantic, Van Newkirk, joins us now to talk about one of America's favorite traditions, whitewashing Martin Luther King Jr.'s legacy. Good morning,
5: Van. Good morning.
1: All right, uh, I am so glad uh, you did this project on MLK um, because I, I thought you you offered so much to the conversation, which often, you know, we kind of lose when we talk about his legacy. So, uh, you wrote about how Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination itself was really whitewashed and how it was discussed. Um, how does the reality of his murder conflict with how people talk about him now?
5: So, I think, If you look at where the country was in 1968 when he was assassinated, if you look at opinion polls from Gallup polls and other places like that, uh, the the country was turning pretty firmly against uh, Dr. King. They didn't like that he spoke out against the Vietnam War. Many folks were saying the Civil Rights Movement was going too far and too fast, like he often said in his speeches. He was uh, pretty beleaguered from public opinion and uh, even from an organizing uh, point of view. So how do you reconcile that uh, with the fact that so many people now say they, oh, of course I would have stood with King in the 60s, or they want to universally say they they are carrying his legacy and his flame, uh, when over half the country didn't in 1968. You can either believe that the vast majority of this country has suddenly shifted position, or you can think that the reality is much more complicated. Uh, President Ronald Reagan
1: established Martin Luther King Day in 1983, and I, I wanted to ask you how did this impact the perception of his legacy? Because now we get to the point where people say, you know, don't politicize Martin Luther King Jr.
5: Well, I mean, I think Reagan sort of helped popularize how the holiday is even celebrated today. You know, he 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 commemorated by by using the portions of King's speech uh, which he thought. Uh, advocated for a colorblind America, right? And, you know, he, he quoted only from the I Have a Dream speech. Um, he didn't mention the fact that when King was assassinated, Reagan, when he was governor of California, basically said that uh, he was responsible for his own death because he broke the law. Um, so he was basically the vanguard of how the holidays celebrated with really anodyne, uh, scrubbed away, sanitized quotations, mostly from that single speech, uh, which talk about the content of one's character. And, you know, and they don't really get into systemic, uh, systematic critiques of America. They don't talk about poverty and they don't talk about militarism the way King spoke about it. And I think that was the only way a politician like Reagan would have even accepted the holiday.
1: Right. Um, Well, Fox News tweeted this opinion piece, uh, I think just last Friday. Uh, Please stop politicizing Martin Luther King Day. It's a day for national unity, not political division. And so obviously, like, my God. Um, This is what I wanted to ask you. Um, Are you surprised to see people like Pence, um, a part of this administration in 2019, um, pushing a false narrative about Martin Luther King Jr.? And what would
5: Pence and the Trump administration get from it? So I'm not surprised. Um, I think this is pretty much par for the course uh, now for the national commemoration of King Day. Um, it requires almost, the way we celebrate him as a uh, quote-unquote founding uh, father of the modern age requires that we strip away all the difficult pieces uh, of, of what his legacy entails, that we strip away uh, the, a real substantive discourse about the policies he wanted Uh, because that's the only way that lots of people who, again, were against him and frankly would have supported him being marginalized or killed. uh, They can get on board with saying, hey, we like this guy now. Uh, There's only way people who fought against school integration, lots of parents who didn't want their kids going to school with black kids, that's the only way they can get behind him. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think it's only a natural conclusion to say that that's what gets you a Mike Pence saying MLK basically would have supported the wall. Uh, so I think as this continues, if this is a way we celebrate the holiday, that's how it's going to proceed. It's going to be people using King's name to support pretty much any policy, um, because basically, if all you have to say is he wanted us to live uh, in a colorblind society, you can employ that almost any way you choose, as long as you don't basically come out and say, I don't like black people. Absolutely. Um, Bernice King
1: tweeted this, saying racism doesn't exist, to your point, fosters a dangerous lie. Nathan Phillips will tell you, uh, "You were he alive? Trayvon Martin would tell you. Flint is a witness. The school to prison pipeline says it. Had he not been gunned down for actively opposing racism, my father would too. And we of course were talking about Nathan Phillips um, and that teenager uh, earlier this morning on the show where do you connect, um, you know, that maga teenager confronting that Native American elder, to uh, our country's relationship to Martin Luther King Jr.'s legacy?
5: You know, I've been thinking a lot about this recently, not just with that incident at uh, that march, but you know, thinking about the Gillette ad, what it did and what it didn't, thinking back to Brett Kavanaugh, that uh, hearing, and, and thinking about, I think, how we build young people and especially young men. Um, there are lots of different pieces of disparate commentary here that I think fit together, and it's—I uh, believe—if you look at King's life and legacy holistically, and, and take it apart, uh, do real research on your own, and think about how he grew as a as a person, and uh, how he learned, and and really developed a spirit of empathy and uh, vision as a leader, it, it's difficult to come away um, with uh, sort of cut-and-dry uh, perspectives, but it is easy to apply that to how we build young people, how we can uh, make kids who don't think it's right to go out and yell at uh, at Native American elders, um, how we can think about uh, moving beyond, quote-unquote, toxic masculinity into uh, really taking empathy into our own hearts and lives. And uh, now is a good time for meditation on all those things. Um, even the ways that King himself fell short of those things. Now is a good time uh, for thinking about that. And I think King's a good vessel.
1: Absolutely, we have such a great opportunity for that kind of thoughtfulness today, especially. Van Newkirk, as always, thank you for joining us. Someone on Twitter says, shout out to Young B. We love that kid.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks as always. Yeah, I'm thinking about that with him too. Absolutely, absolutely.
1: All right, friends, up next, Isaac down with Wonder Woman director Patty Jenkins. We're so excited to have her here. (laughs)
0: This is The Sit Down, and I'm here with Patty Jenkins, the director of Wonder Woman, the Wonder Woman franchise, and the upcoming television series, I Am the Night. Yes. Good morning, how are you? Good
6: morning, I'm great, how are you?
0: I'm doing really well. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
6: So happy to be here.
0: I'm a little obsessed with the Black Dahlia murder story, so I was excited to hear that you were tackling it. When did you first hear about this kind of classic murder?
6: So I, I'm a big true crime junkie, and mm-hmm. I've watched it and read it ever since I was really young. Um, the Black Dahlia I dipped into at some point in my youth, and, you know, you hit all the, the normal kind of versions of the story, but dead ends. Mm-hmm. And then this story, what blows my mind is, I'm, I, a friend had told me, you have to hear this woman's story. Mm-hmm. I sat down, she started telling me her story about not knowing what her identity was. Mm-hmm. I was following this riveting tale, and when it started to unfold and suddenly, boom, the Black Dahlia was involved, and not only was it involved, but for the first time ever, it was involved in a way that I said, oh my, that is exactly, that is exactly why people do crimes like that. That is the compelling... It It was the first time that it ever made sense that you would treat the body the way that it had been treated, so...
0: It didn't feel it a like yore- a dead end.
6: Yeah, it didn't feel like a. Why would this? Why would this strange guy have done a crime in this way? This mm. time, it all made sense. It all made sense, and that yeah. woman
0: was Fauna Hodel, correct? Yes,
6: who Fana you Hodel.
0: became friends with. How yeah. did that happen?
6: Well. At that moment, I was so riveted by her story that I couldn't stop thinking about it. And even though it was so dark in certain ways, I I was compelled to try to tell it. Mm. So I went out with it, and I was going to try to do it, but no one was really making limited series at the time, and people were wanting to truncate it into a Black Dahlia movie. I kept feeling, we've seen Black Dahlia movies, and I'll lose too much of this incredible story if mm. I do that. So it just didn't happen. She and I stayed friends for many years, and... Um, and I was always saying, Fauna, don't wait for me. I was doing Wonder Woman now, I was really busy, and she kept saying, I think you're the you're the person who's one day gonna tell this story, which is always such an honor mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. such an amazing thing. Um and then I just happened to tell Chris Pine, wow, I was talking to my friend Fauna Hodell, and listen to this story, it's unbelievable. And he said, oh my God, you have to tell that story. That's the most incredible story. So uh, I went home and mentioned it to my husband, who I'd been begging to write this for many years, and all of a sudden he said, wow, there were all of these men involved in that story mm-hmm. that, that we've never figured out, cracked how to represent that. Actually, if we built a, ca- a character out of multiple of them mm-hmm. into this thing for Chris, we could all do it together. And it just sort of happened. My husband wrote it in, Chris and I were blown away, and we now we wanted to do it, even though we really didn't have time. <laughs> and
0: you, and you, instead of put, yeah. like you said, stuffing it into a movie, you gave it this space. Yeah. But let's talk about Chris Pine. Yeah. I like that you bring up your <laughs> husband as well. Sort of a muse at this point. That's how I feel. For him. definitely. What, what brings you, other than the stunning blue eyes, what brings you back to working with Chris time and time again?
6: I think he's an unbelievably talented actor mm. who has so much more than I've gotten to see him do yet. Really? He is deep, he's funny, he's te- you know, so surprising. Mm. And so sometimes when there are people like that, particularly when they become huge movie stars, mm. the, the audience asks them to do something very similar over and over again. Even what he did for us in Wonder Woman, we he just made us laugh all day long and moved us mm-hmm. with his profound reflection on things. So he's become a good friend, but also an actor that I just, I, you know, there are forty different things I want to make with Chris. You
0: feel like he has the range, and Definitely. we don't. We haven't actually seen all of it yet. Definitely. That's really thrilling. Um, listen, you 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 surprised everyone, myself included, when you tweeted, "Welcome back to Wonder Woman, 1984, Steve Trevor." But yes. But like, I, okay, <laughs> sorry. Spo- spoiler alert! If you haven't seen Wonder Woman. You're trash, and you shouldn't even be watching. To be honest, but uh, Steve Trevor, things maybe not so good towards the end of the first film. Yeah, uh, how's he in this one?
6: You, you—it's interesting. I thought of—I thought of what this next movie should be in the middle of making the first movie. So it's not—it—it it wasn't a solution to. Oh God, that was worked out. Let's try to jam you in there it's all incredibly important to the story mm. it makes perfect sense that's all i can tell you,
0: you, you. all right so yeah. you, you'll say it makes perfect <laughs> sense you won't give me anything more than that i, I can't I, tell I, you anymore i feel like in the show there's something too right there's an actor who maybe played multiple people throughout time i don't know if that reflects that I, I, i'm sorry i'm bringing you on my own conspiracy yeah. theory journey you don't yeah. need to sit through that um it's gonna <laughs> obviously take place in the 80s 1984 yeah. that's safe to assume right? yes How did you stick to the era? Everybody wearing shoulder pads? You
6: know what was cool? Uh We're treating the era differently than I've seen uh, so far, which I feel like there have been a lot of interesting versions of doing the era. Mm -hmm. Um, In our version, as a child of the 80s myself, there was, yes, there was funny ha-ha outfits I can't believe I wore, for sure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But there's also incredible music incredible art, and so I really felt like the 1980s is is kind of mankind at their most extreme and at their best. Wow. It was when we could do anything we wanted and we had no idea of the price yet. Mm. So we have really committed to that version of the 80s mm-hmm. where it's not needle drops and it's not a bunch of jokes, it's actually the most kind of aspirational and elegant version of the 80s in many, many places. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of throw it away, you get used to it. and I I enjoyed rolling around in remembering what it was like when we had no idea that this was all going to stop.
0: That this was all going to fall apart. I'm sorry, you just kind of gave me chills. And I'm even more excited for it. Good. Uh, Another tweet for you here. Turin's Bay Company tweeted, Dear Hollywood, if Wonder Woman is what happens when you hire women to direct blockbusters, please hire all the women. Thanks. So how do you think Hollywood could be better? about giving more women director opp- director's opportunities.
6: You know, it's funny. I think that the problem goes back much deeper than just the director. Okay. When I made Monster and I was successful, a lot of people wanted to hire me and they and they 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 were great about it. Mm-hmm. People weren't trying not to hire me but what they wanted to hire me for was their stories that they had developed, and they didn't wanna hear mine. Mm-hmm. They didn't even wanna read my scripts. I was a writer-director who had just had a successful film, but nobody even wanted to read the script. Mm-hmm. That, the problem that I feel is that wh- who, no matter who you hire in the director's chair, we have told this very similar kind of story over and over again to the point that it's become played out and we have to do remakes. Mm. Well, when that's the case, there's something wrong because stories have been going on for thousands of years and have never hit that problem. Mm -hmm. But the stories that we've told for thousands of years have been incredibly diverse and interesting and rich in new and nuanced ways. Hollywood is like super behind in that regard. Mm -hmm. That they they haven't discovered that. So it's not just, yes, give women the opportunity. It's for Hollywood's own survival. We have to start telling different kinds of stories. And all stories Mm. can be commercial and universal. Mm. You know, it's not a favor. Mm -hmm. It's money. It's money. It's money. It's good business. As we're seeing... You know, in the last few years, as as more than just Wonder Woman are succeeding, that are movies that defied expectation. Mm. It's it's you know the audience wants it, and they will go. Mm-hmm. It's time. You
0: got me standing up, wanting to clap. So are it's there any, <laughs> are there any women directors? And now I'm like not even to be put in charge of other people projects. Yeah. But are there any young directors or, or people that you're excited to see what they do if Hollywood gets its act together?
6: Oh God, tons. Yeah. I mean, I have. So, I feel like I have encountered many, many great women directors. Victoria, who worked on this show, you know, Vic Mahoney is 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 one of them. There are many great, great female directors out there, and I, I can't wait to see what Ava does next. But there's also all of the incredible women that Ava has employed on her shows. There's there's tons of them.
0: Mm-hmm. There's and there's a, there's a generation that we haven't been able to discover yet. Yeah. Um. Listen, the Oscars are tomorrow. Yeah. So I I I, I want to just not. Try to put you on the spot to, sorry the nominations are yeah. coming out tomorrow yeah uh, i don't want to put you on the spot yes but do you have any predictions is there, or the, hey, is you there know
6: what? I really, see? I really don't. Okay. I really don't have any predictions. I feel like the Oscars surprise me every single year yeah. <laughs> because my taste always runs very different than <laughs> the Oscars. <laughs> so I'm always like, "What's going on?" Like, uh-uh. there's always for the last three years, I think there was a movie that nobody saw mm-hmm. that I was like, "That's the best movie of the year." I don't know. I'm I get, and then other years, it's the Pixar movie, and then those aren't considered the best movie of the year yeah. or the or the most mainstream movie. So I have no idea. What's
0: the, what's the one? What's the one that you would recommended to me to, to make sure I see? What's your, you know, it's uh, not the Oscar nomination call, but if there's, what's the film that, that you feel like maybe was a little slept on this year, or just one that you really loved?
6: I, I haven't seen enough to make that call because yeah. of I've been making the movie the whole year. But <laughs> I'll, I'll say, and it's not been super overlooked, but uh, RBG, the Ruth Bader Ginsburg documentary, amazing. Amazing. And absolutely incredible. Yeah, an incredible movie. Awesome. Definitely and, one to see.
0: And I haven't watched it. It so will make w- you cry. I will be sure to yeah. watch it. Thank you, Patty, so much for coming on this show. Awesome. And I'm so excited about seeing the 80s kind of through that new lens. Good, so am The night premieres on Monday, January 28th on TNT. You don't want to miss it, and stay tuned. More AM to DM is up next. All right. Here's a tweet
1: from the book bitch. I love that username. Uh, Just pre-ordered The Vanishing Stair by Maureen Johnson, and I am so not ready. Truly Devious left us on a cliffhanger. I need it in my hands right this second. All right. Look, she, the, the children are ready for your book, girl.
7: It's here. <laughs> well, it's almost here. It's here tomorrow.
1: All right. Okay, you're almost there. Hang in there, yeah. book bitch. All right. Maureen Johnson, the New York Times best-selling author of The Vanishing Stair, and AM to DM's self-proclaimed first fan. Joins That's right. Us now. That's right. <laughs> in it from the oh look, we got all right, we got proof. Look at that. In I it was from there the beginning.
7: I was there in the beginning. <laughs> I love it. You, you're much fancier now. Thank you. You're back. Thank you. You guys, the back. It is a whole other thing. It's we a We should whole. do like a photo comparison. It's changed a lot. Oh, when I came in, I was like, <laughs> what is this room? So many air plants. <laughs> you guys love an air plant. We do love BuzzFeed us. is the keeping the air can. plant business alive.
1: only thing we can keep alive. Yeah. At, well, yeah. you've got them all. <laughs> Well, let's talk about The Vanishing Stair. Happily. It's, it's the second book in the mystery series. It and is. obviously, as we saw from that tweet, people are so excited. Um, it's about a student investigating two mysteries at her private school because mm-hmm. one is not enough. Um, what's it like writing a classic mystery in, in such a contemporary setting? Like, it feels so in line with 2019.
7: Well, uh, so the story, part of it takes place in the 1930s, -hmm. part of it takes place now, and I love classic crime, true crime. Like Agatha Christie. All of it. Yeah. All of it, always have, read two Agatha Christie's a day Really? when I was a kid. Just yeah. wanted loved to... her in middle school. What? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just in the summer, instead of exercising or being healthy or doing, you know, I'd be sitting next on the field. I can take a kickball to the head and not miss a page. And you're fine. Boof! Don't even feel it. I don't feel a thing. What is it about Mystery that you love so much? The the puzzle, the the game. Mm. The game of it. Mm-hmm. The fact that at the end you're gonna there's going to be a treat. Yeah. You're gonna find out if you were right, if you were wrong. But you're also there, I was my first fandom was Hercule Poirot. What a beautiful oh. <laughs> beautiful, you know, when you're twelve and you're uh-huh. like, oh, I love sixty-year-old Belgian detectives.
1: <laughs> so sophisticated. So mm. sophisticated.
7: It's so it's something. It's something we don't have to. We don't have to put a word on it. Just let it. Just let 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 the moment linger.
1: Let it sit. Yeah, I love it so much. Um, Something I've been thinking about is, and and it's hard to even ask the question without sounding hokey, Mm -hmm. but. The relationship between just everyone who reads books um, and YA audiences, mm-hmm. I think, has changed. I think it's fair yeah. to say that we are like, oh, okay, like YA, it's sure. it's always been real literature, but we, I think people get that now. Um, does that feel true to you as an author who's been thriving in the genre, and what's changed for you as a writer?
7: In the beginning, because mm-hmm. um, my first book came out in... Two thousand four.
1: Okay. And people are like,
7: what is this? What mm-hmm. is this? Is this for children? Does it pop up? Does How it, old are they? Are they two? <laughs> and I would say no, and they'd say, Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Are you gonna write a real book? You know, yeah. and you'd say, Me, me, me. That's you know my yeah. answer. Me, 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 because <laughs> I'm a Muppet. And people do that less. You have to. You you don't have to say what why it is okay. anymore. Okay. Generally, you get it every once in a while. Mm-hmm. But it's also, I'm gonna brag. They're the best audience. They are, YA readers are passionate, Mm -hmm. they are well read, Mm -hmm. they are also flexible. So they're not, I find adults are more, they say things like, I only read books about submarines, or I only read a book with a bridge on the cover that has a romance and one person falls in the water. You know, they're very rigid, Uh Uh, adult readers. Adult readers, Mm -hmm. Teen readers, YA readers, they'll follow you to fantasy, they'll follow you to mystery, they'll follow you to, Contemporary, though, and there's this beautiful fluidity that means they're not afraid to pick up more books, mm-hmm. and there's they're greedy for books, right. yeah. and it's exciting. Right. And then they get in touch with you if they love it. They get in touch with you if they hate it, and that's both good. You know, just they have such an intense relationship with books that, and and I think that means we're building. Such strong, like really, people that have lifelong right. relationships with books. Yeah. So I love that. I
1: mean, like when I think of aside, like not counting graduate school and everything sure. like that, I imagine for many of us, the time when we were probably reading the most right. was when we were like YA readers. Exactly. That's when you you go to the library and you were proud to walk out with six books, mm-hmm. kind of stacked on you're, top of one another. You pile. <laughs> totally. you're like, this is this is volleyball again,
7: yeah. <laughs> you know, but. <laughs>
1: That is part of the joy. Um, I always love to uh, you know, give shine to other people. Who are other writers in the YA genre that you would love to just shout out?
7: So many. Oh, God, you've just put me on the spot. My friend Holly Black, she has a, the number one YA book this week. Right now it's called The Wicked King that's out. It's a sequel to The Cruel Prince. She is astonishing. Okay. She, Her love of folklore and fantasy, it runs deep in her. Mm. It's her lifestyle. It's her love. And this is a book that it just is full of true folklore, fantasy, true, like, it's just so good. That's
1: my jam, so. Oh, she's good. I've been good. looking for a cruel prince, so.
7: She, she's got one for okay. you. <laughs> she's got one. I love it, yeah. I love it. Cool, well,
1: something I also wanna ask is like, you're also very good at Twitter, you know? Oh, well, thank you. you you're very good, you're very good. Um, you. And like me, you've been on Twitter for a, a, Four over a decade now. Years. What the hell is wrong with us? Why were we doing this in 2008? Oh. Um, and have a lot of followers, um, which is not totally unusual for YA, authors who are successful, because you mentioned it's a passionate mm-hmm. um, audience, um, but how, has it ever been a challenge to navigate Twitter and to just do the work? Has it oh, ever yeah. been attention? It's,
7: it's all the time, mm. and especially now when we feel this kind of hair trigger, you know, if we look away for one second, mm. the world is gonna go, mm-hmm. and it's gonna, Twitter's gonna be like, by the way, everything just blew up, and you'll be like, ah, I looked away for five minutes and everything blew up, and that's hard. So I have to run programs now to shut everything down. Okay. Like just. So you
1: do, like, freedom and all? Full-on,
7: internet, yeah. Just yeah. so run some internet blockers. Uh-huh. And I put my phone in a timeout jar. Oh. I that has a little like timer that. on it. And you hit the button, it goes, whoop, and I you like can't that. get in. And you shake it. You That's go, get, get in. my phone, and it won't let you. Yeah,
1: I haven't done that yet. But what I what I will do when, I, when it's really bad with writing, I will just turn my phone off and everything. But also, I have to put it on the other side of the apartment. Like, I'm oh. like, you have to walk through several rooms to even just go get your phone.
7: But I can, I can chew through a wall, you know, just... <laughs>
1: I love it. Well, um, of course, we mentioned that you were on the show, not only early on, we think you were on, I think it was like the first Friday, Mm -hmm. the first AM to DM Friday, Um, so we wanted to take a quick look. This is 2017.
0: When Saeed and I were rehearsing the show, you started tweeting about your excitement for AM to DM, Mm -hmm. going so far as to imply that you were in the air vents. Now, this is a tweet that you said, you responded to one of my tweets with, climbs through the air vents, watches.
7: I've been in air events at BuzzFeed for a while.
0: <laughs> You've been up, up, right up there.
7: It's warm and safe here.
0: Just watching the show as it unrolls.
7: Well, 2017 has been rough, and <laughs> I'm gonna do this again. Yeah, that was a good pose. Look, remember when we thought 2017 was rough? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. Remember that? Here we are. Here oh my we are. God.
1: Uh, we were oh. so innocent then. Do you we remember so that, man? Same, also,
7: same. Pl- you've got sort of the well, same. Well,
1: you know, we have better lighting now, and it's, uh, it's I don't massive. think Isaac has worn a J. Crew shirt like that since. Now he's like he can wear the cool clothes he likes to wear, which is great. But we wanted to ask, since September twenty seventeen September twenty seventeen, any glow up details for you? Any? Yeah. Glow up? Yeah. how Have you changed since twenty seventeen? Because you've mastered the aesthetic. I see you like a good cream.
7: I didn't, mean, I didn't know I did that. I think I read somewhere that you're supposed to wear, like, flat colors. Oh, okay. When you're, oh, okay. I don't know. I, they,
1: they do tell me that. I just
7: ignore it. I don't know. I, was, I, I just, I go where they tell me. Um, <laughs> I feel like we have come through, like, we are all the mother of dragons a little bit, that we have mm-hmm. all decided to, you know, we are in the fire, and mm-hmm. we're all going to come out soon covered in dragons. Right. But I feel like we're still in the fire a little bit. Okay. Um, but we're going to make it out. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's why I was so excited to come in here today. I was like, hey, anything going on in BuzzFeed today? (laughs) Pretty quiet day around BuzzFeed. Real
1: real chill day at the office.
7: Oh, yeah. Hey, guys. uh, What's on your desk there? Any news? Yeah, I've decided to stop looking on the internet for news, and I'm just going to come directly into You're Buzzfeed allowed. and just You're allowed. just go through desks. And I got to tell you, I I,
1: I I won't forget. Uh, maybe 20, oh gosh, maybe it was 2017 as well. Chimamanda Adichie, when she was here, she asked to see the newsroom because she was like, "Is this where the dossier happens?" Oh, this do, is you, do you
7: have the news ready? Is this where you I make the news? Is this where you fake it out?
1: You're allowed to come check on us.
7: Who writes your news here? Fake news. <laughs> Maureen,
1: stop. I'm too tired. Thank you for joining us this Thank morning.
7: Thank you for having me.
1: Alright, again, her book, The Vanishing Stairs, is available tomorrow, January 26th, 22nd, wherever books are sold. Get it because clearly a lot of y'all are very excited. I'm gonna hold on to this. Up next, Isaac and I are responding to more of
0: your tweets. <laughs> Welcome back. We've got a tweet here from Lily. Okay, Maureen Johnson is my new favorite person. Why is she not on this show more often? Because I wouldn't be able to get through it. She makes me
1: (laughs)
0: laugh. So, she's so, her sense of humor, I find, is so unpredictable. Mm. You have no idea. It's the straight face. It's the delivery with the straight I'm face. i still crying. Easily could have been a comedian. Easily could have been a comedian. It just
1: makes me, and then it's one of those things, when she gets going, I just can't stop laughing.
0: Absolutely. It's, it's how I feel as well. I also just, I love that she was such an early supporter of the show. Yeah. Like, that's just the truth. Like, she was always tweeting us, uh, still likes to hit us with the, I'm still in the vents situation. Probably still
1: is. I didn't walk her to the elevator. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just... see and that is a joke that maureen would have made okay listen we asked you all who won the firefight netflix or hulu jenna says netflix was the prestige hulu was the illusionist what because truly who saw that uh evian thank you oh yeah story coming i couldn't oh, even get man. it down okay and that's, that's mouthwash do you remember the prestige the illusionist i remember watching the prestige so i Think it's the Prestige like, is better? It was like two magician movies that came out. Which one was, was better? That's the thing. I the believe pres- it was okay. The Prestige. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I'm sorry, producer. I had to jump in at the prestige. Okay, clearly this is something that's been thought about. <laughs> <laughs> A lot. I mean, I will say, it's. and again, they, neither were perfect. I do mm-hmm. want to say that again for Hulu and Netflix. Absolutely. Both in terms of their journalistic decisions, empathizing with Billy McFarlane. Also, who
0: was involved? Yeah. I, Billy, Hulu paid Billy McFarlane to yeah. appear in the series, I've heard. Yeah. And also, like you said, Fuck Jerry guys were involved mm-hmm. in the production of the Netflix one, so that's interesting, too. But the blowjob moment... In the Netflix documentary,
1: was, let's just step back for a second, truly one of the wildest things I've ever seen in a documentary. You ain't gonna catch
0: me moving right now. (laughs) I ain't moving. Can you imagine
1: like a Winston Churchill documentary? And okay, anyway, Jolie had this to say. About my, oh God, now we're talking about Martin Luther King Jr. Martin Luther King Jr. conversation with Van Newkirk. You tweeted, Rosa Parks was not tired and MLK Jr. was not a pacifist. He was a practitioner of radical nonviolence. For clarity, nonviolence is not about not fighting back. Nonviolence is a willingness to permit violence to be enacted upon you in order to make injustice visible. Mm. Julie, this is the second time that you have come through here. With such wisdom and like drawing attention to
0: the clarity of language. Remember that? Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh, thank you. Yeah, that is why I love having this show, is shout when we have me. such an incredible audience yeah. that obviously have such thoughtfulness. Like, yeah, shout out to you, Jolie. That was, when I saw that, I was like, yeah, so yeah.
1: And I also just say, I, I saw a lot of people had love for Van Newkirk. He is such a delight. It's always great having him on the show. His writing is wonderful, Mm -hmm. Um, and his kid is so cute. Follow him on Twitter for many reasons, but also for updates. (laughs)
0: Because we all need a little cuteness in the world. Thank you so much to our guests, George Johnson, Kate Nocera, Molly Hensley-Clancy, Van Newkirk, of course, Patty Jenkins, who I absolutely adore. Dude, I'm excited. She got me excited about the 80s.
1: I can tell when you get chills. Yeah,
0: she got me excited for the 80s. And of course, to the hilarious
1: Maureen Johnson. Enjoy your day off and hopefully your day of meditation about the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. We continue to work, and we'll be here tomorrow at 10 a.m. See you then. (laughs) Had to like (laughs) undercut.